0: Now, it doesn't matter what anyone else thinks about you. I just want you to know that this hasn't changed my feelings at all.
1: Gee, that's nice of you, Peg.
0: Mm. Hey, you want to go upstairs and fool around? No. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Let's rock.
0: Thanks, Dad.
1: Can I get a whoopin'? Woo! No Man Presents, live from the Nudie Bar,
2: the Married with Children Podcast. And here are your hosts, Jerry, Justin, and Al. Alright, here it is, guys. The Married with Children Podcast is back. No Ma'am is here, and it is the beginning of the golden years of Married with Children. Uh, As we discussed a few times, we all know that Married with Children's golden years are season three through five, so we're very excited. Uh, Of course, my name is Al, as you should know after two seasons of this show, and I am joined by the guy who was inspired by by wanda the preppy
3: hippo jerry what's up man she always gave her all she was always there in the action always encouraging other people who could not be encouraged by that
2: yeah wanda was a trooper
3: believe it or not guys
2: we are one guy short this week aren't we jerry
3: yeah so uh if y'all y'all might remember in an episode um Where Al maybe thought about robbing a bank, and then JP did rob a bank and had to go to Canada. Well, wherever he went to Canada last time, he actually had good reception. He had to dip out again because they got on, they got closer to figuring out that he robbed a bank, and he's back in Canada, but we can't get in touch with him. We have no idea where he's at in Canada.
2: Right. Well, he could definitely call us from prison. So I'm going to put in a request now, and uh, we should get that call during our last break. So I'll have somebody uh, record his call, hand me the clip, and I'll drop it in on the show. That way you can at least hear Justin's review, you know, his overall rating of He Thought He Could. That is the first episode of Season 3 Married with Children. Its uh, original air date is... November 6th, 1988. So we're at the tail end of 1988. So that's weird because we keep talking about how these years, this is like the weirdest show when it comes to that. Because remember how season one and two were virtually 87 until uh, the Christmas episode and then it finally got to 88. Well, season three is still in 88. Now, as everybody knows, I guess this was not a normal thing back then, but Shows always kind of do the the same thing as you, like, school. They start in September, and then they wind out around, uh, you know, May or June. And for some reason, this this show is just all over the place with its release dates, but I don't care. It's
3: all, it
2: doesn't matter now.
3: Yeah, did they have, like, what was the break between uh, the last season of episode two and the first season of episode three? I'm looking it up right now because I want to know. I wonder how much of a break they had because I'm like, man, y'all like literally, did y'all take a break? Is there at least a month? Okay, yeah. Okay, yeah. So May 1st, 1988 okay. was the, the season finale of season two. So this episode is the first episode to come out while I was alive because I was born in October 88. Wow.
2: You're as old as an overdue library book.
3: Well, that overdue library book is a little bit older than me. <laughs> it doesn't
2: make sense. Uh, wow, yeah, that's awesome. And what a Kickstarter to the golden years of marrow children. You know, I never really uh, pieced it together that this was like the the beginning of the golden years or anything. Straight from like eleven years old, man. This episode, I don't know what it is about it. It there's just some something magical about it or something because i have watched this episode alone like i i probably wouldn't be lying if i said 40 or 50 times
3: yeah he's never actually ever watched any other episode it's just this show over and over and over
2: (laughs) yeah just all the characters are so fleshed out in this one episode i just seem to know everything about them from this one (laughs) But yeah, I, I've seen this so many times. It, w- it was just always fascinating to me. And uh, I had no idea that it was the beginning of season three. So that's great. Um, so the premise of this episode is Al discovers the library book that was due in 1957. He must return it to the library and face up to his worst childhood fear, the librarian. Ron Levitt and Michael Moye wrote it. And the director is Jerry
3: Cohen. Jerry's always do good episodes. I'm just telling you. Well,
2: this is Jerry with a G.
3: Oh, well, who cares if you didn't, if you, look, if you didn't know how to read, you wouldn't know. Okay. Yeah. And if you didn't know how to read, you might call him G off. How did I know that was going to come back and bite me?
2: <laughs> hey, you could go hit me with the Meringus or meringues. You married a Jew? What? I thought she was Mexican. (laughs) She's not Mexican either.
3: Oh, I'm sorry. What, Puerto Rican? The Puerto Rican version of of Peggy Bundy?
2: (laughs) It's funny because down the road we get a black version of Peggy Bundy too. This guy, uh, I think his name is Aaron or something. He goes to marry... Ah, never mind. Not that you'll remember by the time we're in season 11.
3: (laughs) Yeah. I'm not even going to remember who you are by season 11. I'm just going to be sitting there just like... Man, I wish Steve was here.
2: <laughs> we'll start the show and you're like, God, I'm so glad he says his name in the beginning of every show. So I know what to call him. Okay, so. <laughs> now, Jerry, these, the intros are very, the intro is different this time around for season three.
3: Yeah, we got the the more classic TV show, uh, each character next to their name. And the Kelly one cracks me up. Because she looks, like, directly in the camera, and I expect her to do, like, finger guns. <laughs> like, I was, I was like, did this just become full house? What the hell is this? <laughs> yeah, this, the whole
2: aura of this whole show, can you, it's, it's funny, I can tell, but can you tell that everything is different now?
3: Yes, um, even, like, when you get into the episode, like the jokes and the humor start like you're you're used to how it's gotten far out now which is good because it's about to get real far out (laughs) um and 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 now after after you know season one not doing it season two breaking me down season three i'm ready to accept i'm still going to point out a few things but i'm more acceptable with it now yeah like how long librarians live
2: Oh, let's talk about, yeah, Mr. Groot. So there's a couple of things we could say about her. Uh, you know, of course, as you guys know, we'll, we'll give you the quick gist before we really dissect the beginning because it's also great. But uh, I just want to talk about Mr. Groot, so I'll just jump to this. You know, Mr. Groot's the librarian that Al fears and he has to return the library book to her, you know, 30 years later. So now when they show Mr. Groot, she was, in, in real life, because we, we have no character age, in real life, Mr. Gru was 62 years old in 1988. Now, this library book is overdue 30 or 31 years, because it was 57. Okay, so 88 we're in? Okay, so th- 31 years would make her, at that time... She's roughly 32 years old when Al Bundy's a kid. Okay. Now,
3: is that... Wait, she was 30. She looked much older than 32. (laughs) I don't... I don't think the show cared what her her age she was. So I don't know if we should care. I think... I I think it's one of those things where you just... You just go, you know what? I'm going to let this one slide because... Because the joke where Steve sets it up, where no one could even take that much sugar and live, and then she's living is just another prime example of married with children, <laughs> slam dunking a joke,
4: right. and
3: not worrying about like the semantics of it. Uh, this is just like Peggy and the kids trying to jump off a building. You know, <laughs> we just have to take the joke because this because when I first watched the episode, I'm just sitting there like, how in the hell is she alive? How can you will yourself? to live for that long but then again keep in mind they say she could have retired three years ago so she can't be that old so maybe she was just a real rough looking 30 year old well people can be
2: eligible for retirement at 59 like i personally have to wait till 59 and a half because of my pension and all that type of stuff but uh i don't know it's different in school i guess you know so Uh, like cops retire really early. So I don't know. I mean, I guess 59, I guess she's eligible for retirement. I mean, maybe you don't get the full percentage of your pension or whatever, but you still can go, you know?
3: Yeah. I don't know what the, what the retirement plans are for librarians. Right. And then Al says, that's
2: the first time I learned redheads could kill you. Now, did you feel her hair was red
3: when, when Al was younger? It was more, it was orange, but orange and it was like, it was definitely an orangish tinge, but yeah, it didn't, they didn't make it look prominent like Peggy's. It could almost pass for like a, like Sandy Brown. Right. Why am I talking about a Sandy Brown colored librarian hair right now?
2: Uh, because I just quoted Al saying redheads could kill you. That's when he first learned. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Season
3: three is wacky. It's already wacky. Yeah,
2: well, uh, Mr. Groot is actually, she's a working actress, she was in Annie, Starman, Blank Check, Made in America, uh, that's what? the- she
3: was in Blank Check? Oh, snap, I'm gonna have to go back and figure out who she played. Yeah,
2: she was in that weird movie, Made in America, with, uh, Whoopi Goldberg and Ted Danson, <laughs> remember where they had that bizarre relationship?
3: No, I saw the cast and didn't watch it.
2: <laughs> <laughs> she was in Route 66- And that's an old TV show. I know that. I believe, like, there was an episode with Lon Chaney Jr. and Boris Karloff. There was. Yeah. There was, indeed. So she's, like, really old school, which is obviously easy to believe. And she was in Patty Duke, Car 54, Where Are You?, Mork and Mindy, Knight Rider, Night Court, Webster. Like, what was he? What was his whole story? He was... Is he...
3: About Gary
2: Oldman? Not Gary. No, Oldman. the other one, Webster. Uh,
3: are you talking about the kid that says, "What you talking about, Willis?" No, that's him. That you're talking about the same guy again? No, I said Gary Oldman. Gary Oldman's an old white guy that was in. Like... Oh,
2: you mean G- Gary Shandling? I mean, uh, Coleman. Coleman. What is this... Coleman? Yeah, Gary Coleman. Gary, it's odd because Gary coleman died of multiple aneurysms, which is can be referred to as different strokes.
4: <laughs> <laughs> oh my god!
3: I'm done. <laughs>
2: I'm over it. She was in Growing Pains, The Nanny. Like, as you could, I'm not going to list everything, but she is in a lot of stuff. So that's why she was so good in this. She's actually a really seasoned uh, actress.
3: Yeah, let's get into this episode.
2: Yeah. Because we're to go too long on the miscellaneous. <laughs> uh,
3: they'll
2: be like, Ben, season three gets good on Married Children, but it sucks on the podcast.
3: <laughs> <laughs> why are they talking about the librarian so much right now? Yeah.
2: Uh, So, um, it starts off with Peg and Marcy at the stove and she's just like sitting there with Jiffy Pop. I don't know if you remember that. That's like the popcorn that you just put on the stove and you're supposed to move it around. (laughs) Hey, look, I've seen Scream. I know what it is. Oh, okay, good. It says best before May 11th, 1972. So now 16 years and what do you get? That would mean, so 72 plus 16 years is 88.
3: Okay, wow. Good. They, uh... Wow, they got that spot on. They can't get a librarian age right, but damn it they don't knock out the popcorn. Yeah. Yeah, right? (laughs) They could get popcorn, but not not a a librarian.
0: (sighs) Can you believe it? This little treasure was hiding in a box up in the attic. (laughs) It was a wedding present from Al's parents They gave you popcorn? Yeah Popcorn and Al I made out like a bandit Well Steve's parents gave us china And written instructions on how to make melon balls for their son It's the only way he'll eat melon you know Yeah men are so fussy do you know that after we were first married, Al wouldn't eat unless his food was warm?
3: I like the differences between the wedding gift that the 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 husband's parents given this compared to the the wedding present that Steve's parents gave them. Yeah, instructions like
2: what? Like it was a a card and inside it was a folded up piece of
3: paper. Yeah, they got they well they got china, but in the in the note like i guess maybe like a almost like a birthday card except they gave a wedding card right was how to do melon balls and i'm still trying to figure out what a melon ball is now are there instructions on how to do how to make melon balls i don't know did I, I don't that? eat no I don't, I don't eat melons and i did honestly i just assumed cutting up a melon into a ball but then they were like but when steve is like you learn how to make a decent melon ball i'm like is there bread involved? What, what is in a melon ball that you have to, like, put this much effort into?
2: There are melon ball recipes. Uh, shake and strain into an ice-filled Collins glass, garnish with a melon ball and a slice of lime on a stick and serve with straws. It's a shish kebab? <laughs> That's instructions on how to make melon balls. So what, Marcy can't, like, put a stick in a ball right? Yeah, she can make beef willington and baked Alaska, but not a melon ball. Yeah, I don't,
3: maybe it's some weird, like, uh, Steve's family thing. Like, you know, maybe we, uh, betrayed America, but we make a damn good melon ball. Okay, we've cleaned out your garage, your backyard, and your attic. So, tomorrow, you're gonna help me clean out my garage, right, Al? Uh,
1: One second. Uh,
3: No. That is. Just messed it. If you, if I'm going to help you clean up your garage and your attic, you better be coming and helping me. <laughs>
0: now, Al, I hope that attic is nice and clean for when Mother comes to stay. All right. The straw has been laid down. The
1: trough's been built.
0: <laughs> <laughs> All we need
1: now is a little glass of bourbon to put her teeth in, and she'll be in, pardon the expression, hog heaven.
3: <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was pretty good. I was like, wasn't her mom just there, though, like last episode?
2: Yeah, but as you pointed out, it was about, what, May, June, July, August, September, October? That's true. Yep, so all that time, she was not there. So, um, And it's funny he re- that he was referencing horse stuff, because she did come in a horse trailer last time, right?
3: Oh, you're right. <laughs> what was with the, the soaking the, her teeth in bourbon, though? Yeah, do you do that? No, I don't do that. I don't know anyone who does that. Like, what does that even do? <laughs>
2: I'm sure the person who puts it back in their mouth would like it. They get a little buzz, but I don't know. I know alcohol kills germs, right?
3: Oh well I guess, but like doesn't uh like bourbon and whiskey have sugar in it?
2: <laughs> Steve realizes his hedge clippers are missing.
3: And he goes, but and he goes, Yeah, remember
2: you called Mr. Rose, I slipped over and took him.
3: I, I <laughs> the had look to on Al's this... face I had to rewind this scene to see what was actually said because I was so focused in on Bud's hair. (laughs) Oh, God. I was just like, Bud, why? Why are you, like, one, you've grown a lot since the last time we've seen you. Yeah. But, Jesus boy, that hair.
2: Yeah, Bud, at this point, is growing up the wrong way. He finally gets it right. But I think we have to wait... I think this whole season he has this bizarre I don't even know what to compare
3: that hair to. Like I guess it's a it's like a, a rat tail mullet. It's like a a shitty version of a of a of a, of a like a country singer's mullet. <laughs> yeah. Like I'm like, "Look, I understand you're, you're lower class, but you you don't live in a trailer. Cut your hair." <laughs> now,
2: here's one thing I'm going to say. Like season 3 is awesome, but I, I it does seem to have the occasional bad line or two, which I, I don't understand. Season three is just so strong, virtually every word. So, I like, I don't know why it does this. But, for example, on this episode, which I never got, and, like, the audience, you could almost tell they're, like, forcing the laugh out. Kelly comes in. You know, they're just looking through this box. Now, nothing about this makes sense. So Kelly walks in. She goes,
1: um...
5: Hi, everybody. Oh, the greatest thing happened at school today. The bus driver had a nervous breakdown, so we had to drive the bus ourselves. So, um, if anybody calls and accuses me of locking the driver in the bathroom and taking the bus on a joyride, now you know it's not true. (laughs) So, what is all this junk, anyway?
3: Yeah, I was like, um... Wow, that... You almost want to do a Bink wink, and be like, "Okay." Yes, exactly. Like, it, like uh, the only thing that saved that for me was just because I got to go. My the classic combination is back: her Confederate flag jacket and peace sign necklace. <laughs> the combination is there. They have kept that in wardrobe. I'm going to be very sad when that no longer shows up.
2: Yeah, I I just don't get how that's funny i mean i suppose there's you have to be there maybe i like i don't know it just seems so it's so like right away and in your face you just don't even know how to register it and it's just it's just not as obviously funny
3: yeah and i was still kind of trying to digest the whole stolen car battery right because i was just like did you steal the car battery out of his car did he have it laying on the grass was he changing car batteries <laughs> yeah. like unless you can't say that that's before we were friends yeah and then that logic i'm like oh it doesn't count because it was before we were friends alex before we were friends you know yeah i i stole your lawnmower but that doesn't count we weren't friends right who oh, cared about cool. you? all right man yeah no problem yeah i, I was just like that whole then thing and then then going into the kelly thing i was just kind of like Okay, guys, let's bring this back. And they did with the trophy stuff. The trophy stuff was really good.
2: Yeah. Uh, it was great. Yeah. Uh, you know, just perfect. But okay. But one more thing, not to pick on Kelly again. but So as soon as Kelly's done with this bizarre outburst that she comes in with, the next thing she says is, So what is all the, what is all this old junk anyway? How does she even know what they're doing, what that box is, what's in it? What do you mean, so what is all this junk anyway? As if you're in the middle of the conversation with everyone else. Like, I, it, it doesn't make sense. Do
3: you know what I mean by that? The only thing I could think of is it, by, if by some chance, she knows that if she sees a big box of cardboard, she's assuming there's junk in there. What if there was a new thing they just bought? Like, why
2: wouldn't she have said, what'd you guys buy? Yeah, or just, what's in the box? Right. Like, I it's almost like a segue just to get out of the awkwardness of her intro.
3: <laughs> yeah, it's almost like the, the, the car battery thing was really awkward. We got to get out of this. We got to distract from that. Let's go even more awkward with Kelly's statement. They're like, okay, we have shot ourselves in the foot. Let's just go direct segue into the next right one. Let's get right back to where we were, right?
1: Hey, now look at this. MVP Pop Warner football. That was a little younger than you when I got this, son. All-star Little League. Shortstop. Oh man, all city football, eh? And I met your mom. (laughs) Coed softball, participant award. (laughs) Rookie of the year, shoe salesman, 1968. You notice how they're getting smaller? Everything about him is. (laughs) Oh yeah, and I'm sure you didn't have anything to do with that either, did you? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, that's the end of my trophies. What we find out is Al won a
2: a uh, a trophy for, like, the rookie shoe salesman or something for 1968, which, if you do the math, Al started selling shoes roughly at 22 years old. So he's been doing it for, like, four, uh, 20 years. You know, Steve insults Al, and he says, well... Do you have a trophy? Do you have any trophies? He go. I'm sure if I did, it'd be somewhere in your box. And they said, "Oh, you must have won the running home to mommy trophy a time
3: or two. Oh yeah, that like that joke was really good. But the Steve joke killed me. It would be in the bottle. Like I was just like, "Yeah, it was got great." Him. Like that was fantastic. I'm telling you, the the back and forth writing is phenomenal
2: here. Like just those little things. Mm-hmm. You know, did you win? If I did, it'd be in your box. Like, that just comes off. You know, most people think it's just a passing comment, but, you know, think about it. People have crafted this whole episode out. It's just amazing. Like, these guys, uh, Michael and Ron, really figured out everything by the time this season started. Now, Al finds this book, which is the whole, you know, what this whole episode's based on, The Little Engine uh, That Could. And he takes it, I think it's from, what, the Oakwood Library? This book, The Little Engine That Could, and by the way, I I don't know if I said it, the title of this episode for Married Children is, He Thought He Could. So, A Little Engine That Could is an illustrated children's book that became widely known in the United States after publication in 1930 by Platt and Monk. The story is used to teach children the value of optimism and hard work. (laughs) which is like the opposite of this show. Yeah. Basically, in the tale, a long train must be pulled over a high mountain. Larger engines are asked to pull the train, but for various reasons, they all refuse. So the request is sent to a small engine who agrees to try. The engine succeeds in pulling the train over the mountain while repeating its motto, I think I can, I think I can, I think I can. And then... Uh, for some reason, I don't have the notes, but I, th- I think after he actually succeeded, he says, I knew I could, I knew I could. And that's why they made this, he thought he could. <laughs> that's, the, yeah. that's the name of this episode. Because <laughs> Al is a loser. <laughs> and he, he can't succeed in anything like that.
3: And he thought he could get away with uh, just bringing that book back.
2: Right, he thought he could. He thought he could get away with it. Yeah, I guess you're right. Yeah, it's even better. So that's that book. That's the relevance of the book to this episode. It's basically Al's life in a reverse nutshell.
4: Hey,
1: look at this. The book that inspired my whole life. Wanda the preppy hippo? (laughs) The little engine that could.
0: Is this my book, Al?
1: No, it's not, and I can prove it. Look here. Yeah. Property of the Oakwood Library.
0: (laughs) (laughs) throw this away Steve it's a book he certainly can't read it
3: (laughs) Uh, John Waters said if you go into someone's house and they do not have books do not have sex with them (laughs) and I've I've taken that to heart I'm just like you have to have books even if even if it's just comic books even if it's just magazines like there should be some kind of reading you know though but books are for idiots
2: I mean, you could learn everything you need to know from a movie or a date.
3: <laughs> that line was so good. And then uh, Bud's reply, well, the world needs bimbos too. <laughs> Immediately in my head, I went, yeah, commie bimbos and they must die. <laughs> uh, I was like, perfect throwback to season one, episode one on season three, episode one. Um, Yeah, he said bimbo on both one. Wow.
5: Ah, books are for idiots. I mean, (laughs) you can learn everything you need from a movie or a date.
2: (laughs) The look on Kelly's face, her delivery and her hair all high and flopped, and, and even the angle they shot her at when she said it, and the way everyone looked at her, that was the most perfectly crafted... Just looking at that, that image and her saying it, and the way it all, it was just perfect. And it, it completely – it's the antithesis of stupidity. Being – the, the blonde hair she has, the half-closed eyes, the way she was sitting down, the way she said it, it was exactly like she is the result of people who are lacking knowledge and who do not read.
3: Yeah, exactly. And you're <laughs> right. That is one thing throughout this entire series that we've always pointed out as how good they are with their craft. Between delivery and, and facial expressions, mm-hmm. they nail those. Those four seconds are just perfection.
2: It's just the weirdest thing. Yeah. So Al's describing this library teacher and he said, you know, she put mounds of sugar in her coffee. It would clank. It's funny. My mom used to do this thing. My, one of my childhood memories were my mom uh, mixing her coffee with a spoon like, the sugar, I guess. The same way Mystic Root did it. And my mom used to clank the crap out of her coffee mug or whatever. And it was so annoying to me my whole life. <laughs> so, when Al brought that up, like, it would sound like Chains on a Ghost. <laughs> like, it, it haunts me. So, And on a fat ghost. Like, at this point, the show just goes off with the fat thing.
3: Yeah. But I just thought it was funny that it was, it was, like, Chains on a Ghost. A fat ghost. He has to clarify. So now we get into this
2: Al starts daydreaming, you know, about what was so bad about, you know, this and that. And he actually has such a great memory that we get to see exactly every word of how this played out. (laughs) I'm just kidding. I'm not being a dick. I'm just kidding. (laughs) No, but uh, it's it's a great, you know, it it would be amazing if that's what Al was really watching when he (laughs) – when he zoned into his own head. But we get to see uh, what took place and what transpired back then in 1957. It's a young Al Bundy. Now, you might recognize this kid.
3: I do. I uh, seem to to feel the Christmas joy when I see him. <laughs> I'd better watch out for uh, more appearances, shouldn't I? Yeah, you better get out those high tops. Yeah. He was, of course, in You Better Watch Out as one of the neighborhood kids. And because I'm not 100% sure if we mentioned this when we talked about him on that episode, but he did play a younger Ed O'Neill in a, a movie. Yeah, it we, was, um... We talked about
2: him and I mentioned he'd be in this episode as a young Al Bundy, but then we never mentioned he played Ed O'Neill as a younger person again.
3: Uh, Little Giants. Oh, he played really? A younger, it was in Little Giants.
2: Wow. So he played uh, a young Ed O'Neill in Little Giants. And see, I, I just watched that recently. So I got to watch that again. I don't uh, think
3: I've ever actually seen it.
2: I saw it this year because when my wife found out I was doing this show, she goes, wow, so you're going to be the guy in, at the Marrow Children podcast? That's that's crazy. I was like, yeah. She's like, Will you sign these divorce papers? <laughs> She's like, I'm married to the guy who's going to be doing the Marrow Children podcast. <laughs> Uh, she goes, well, they, they couldn't have picked a more perfect person. Who picked you? I said, me.
4: <laughs> you
3: think anybody knew that I liked the show? Someone came up to Alex and was like, Alex, we're doing a Married with Children podcast <laughs> and we want you to be Al. You specifically. Your
2: name is Al. I mean, it couldn't be any better. And oh, you seem to be God. obsessed with the show, so who else should do this?
3: Your wife thought someone picked you. Oh, my God. She,
2: she thought I was sought after.
3: Oh, my God. No, you're the only one who didn't get picked.
2: I am the only one here who was not. You
5: did the picking. (laughs) Well, young Mr. Bundy. (laughs) The devil boy. (laughs) You'd like to check these out, would you? Well, I'm afraid you can't. Do you know why?
4: I didn't bring you french fries like the other boys do?
5: You're a bad seed, Bundy. You can't have these books because you are consistently overdue, you never have the money to pay, and looking at you now, I doubt you ever will.
4: Bring them back, I promise.
5: You always promise, but you don't follow through. And that, in a nutshell, is your problem. Make a promise, keep a promise.
4: Yeah, yeah, bake a pie, eat a pie. (laughs) books now. I've got a book report due tomorrow.
5: You may take just one book.
4: Hey, be fair. Can you eat just one pig?
5: You're a horrible little boy. You'll never amount to a hill of beans. And I wish that on you, Bundy. To be the failure you deserve. And take that hand out of your pants. It's a filthy little habit. Now, I'm going to let you have the little engine that could on the basis that you might learn something. Though we both know you won't. Do you think anyone can teach you anything?
4: Well, you've just taught me that even the slightest movement can make a fat person sweat.
5: Three days. You have three days to bring this back. Promise you'll bring it back on time.
4: I promise.
5: Oh, that means almost nothing. But if you don't, remember, I'll be waiting for you.
4: Oh boy, she hates you, Al. I swear, one day I'm going to take that bowl of sugar and pour the whole thing down our gas tank. <laughs> My life's got to get better than this.
3: Dude, it was... That scene was just fire. Like, it was just... Bam, bam, bam. Like him not backing down from her. It was fantastic.
2: <laughs> I, I think they used to call me the devil boy when I was younger too. I wonder why. Yeah. Uh, so <clears throat> he says he's going to pour that whole whole
3: thing of sugar in her gas tank. Did you know, by the way, that that's not true? Um, Is it not? Because I just watched an
2: episode of Beavis and Butthead where they <laughs> – it was like a sex ed kind of thing, where they gave them bags of sugar and they put diapers on it, and they said that they have to take care of them for a week. And um, of you know, they paired everybody up in boy girl groups, and they had to take care of this bag of sugar for a week. And then Beavis and Butthead, uh, you know, when when they returned after a week, their bag of sugar was all like destroyed and screwed up and whatever, so they failed. So the next scene is the teacher trying to start his car. And it's like stuck and sputtering and this and that. And then the camera pans to the back and it's their baby with the diaper, or the bag of sugar, stuck in his gas tank. So this is a thing that is a belief that's wide. So you're, what are you telling me?
3: OK, so the whole uh, – sh- so the idea is is that the sugar will melt in the gas and turn into a sludge and it will block up all the, the uh, internal – uh, gas pumping things in the engines. I don't know anything about cars. Oh, like pistons and all that? Yeah. But they actually did a full study on this in 96 and it was also on an episode of Mythbusters. Sugar will actually not turn to sludge. Gas does not dissolve sugar. So what does it do? Just sit at the bottom of the tank? It would sit in the tank and you would have to pay $100, $200 to get the gas tank removed, cleaned, and put back in. Because apparently it's not very hard to actually remove the gas tank, um, and which sh- most of the sugar would never make it that far because since it doesn't turn to sludge, it stays in gra- it would be like sand, uh, grains of sand, and it would just get caught in the filter.
2: That is remarkable this I am becoming happier and happier we started this
3: yeah, you everyone learned something today. I'm sorry it was about putting sugar in a gas tank, but you learned something
2: yeah. Uh, well, all I know is Al's life has got to get better than this.
3: <laughs> and then that
2: that dumb look on his face where it pans back to him in reality. And you, and you
3: see, wow, his life didn't get any better. Yeah. Man, I would have watched a show that was just that kid playing a young Al. Oh, yeah. Wow. They should have done, like, a prequel. Like, I almost wish that this would have happened later on in the season so that they are uh, series – To where it had enough traction that they would have, like, maybe done a spinoff. I would have watched the spinoff of him just talking back to teachers. Yeah, if it was good
2: enough. I mean, if it stayed like this, I'd, I'd watch it. You know, if it held the same quality, yeah. You know, they hand out the book and say, return the book, Al. Like, I don't know why they care or whatever. But, you know, of course, Marcy's always on some kind of crusade to save something uh i
3: I mean she's uh into some hippie uh kind of stuff some, Yeah, she's like a hippie right yeah she's you're right she always wants to save something it's yeah and uh this episode it happens to be books i mean who else in the back pocket just has a spiel about how libraries are having shortages of books
2: yeah and book is is something for a hungry mind fuel for a hungry mind yeah uh now would you return this library book like if Not if you were Al. Clearly he wouldn't. But would you return it?
3: No. Yeah, I'm sorry. If this much time has gone back and they've given up on trying to get it, I understand they sent him, which we'll find out, they sent him messages. They sent him mail for like 10 years about it. Right. At that point, if you've given up, you've given up. You've accepted your losses. I'm not going to accept the loss. I'm just going to put it on the bookshelf and, and forget about it. I haven't returned the the book I stole. <laughs> they don't contact me. You should. Now that we, we reviewed this episode, you should you should live it out. No, one I'd have to go all the way back to South Carolina. That's
2: it's worth it. Make a video for our our YouTube channel.
3: Are you going to are you going to buy me another hardback edition of uh Stephen King's Cycle of the Werewolf? Uh if you do this, yes. If I, wait, if I spend way more money than that to go all the way back to South Carolina? It's
2: either do that or eat a tangwich.
3: <laughs> tangwich it is.
2: Yeah. you ain't returning that book. Al walks into the Oakwood Library, and what's the first thing he sees?
3: The sugar.
4: Whew.
5: Dum, dum, dum. <laughs> Your life. alive. <laughs> And you owe us $2,163. <laughs>
2: We're going to have to suspend disbelief. And now she recognizes him.
3: Yeah, like, I don't <laughs> think there's enough, enough there to, I don't think if you saw me as a 10 year old, and you saw me as a 30 year old, you're going to go, that's the same person. Right. Unless this this deep-seated hatred for a nine-year-old is, has built into her so much so that it's like some kind of weird intuition thing.
2: <sighs> it's very strange. Um, she even knew. Not only does she know what he looks like after 30 years, but she has to the penny what he owes her. Now, I did- do
3: believe that. I think every morning when she comes in, she... Checks up how much Al Bundy owes every morning when she comes. It's the first thing she does when she gets in from work. She goes, bam, Al Bundy owes this much money. And if today's the day he comes in, I'm going to be ready. And because that's her driving force is is doing that to Al Bundy. Now, I'm trying to figure now if he – what is it? 20 cents a day,
2: right? So – I, I, you know what though? I remember when I was watching this, I did some kind of math on my calculator. I'm doing it wrong now, but I do believe it added up to 19 cents and that would, cause she said, Oh, you owe us another 20 cents. It's after 12 a.m. Uh, so I think it could be right. Cause right now I'm not getting it right, but I think I got it right the other day of how I figured that out. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I don't even care if it's really, it, it would just be funny if it's right. But Yeah.
3: Hey JP, how much is two grand? Oh wait, you're in Canada.
2: Oh, see, that's why this episode is not as perfect. We would have had this information. Al, when he sits down now in front of her desk, you notice that his chair is like so low. It's like he's a child again in
3: front of her. Yeah, well, it's because it's a child's chair. <laughs> yeah. Apparently teenagers don't go to this library. So even at a, as a 40-year-old man, he's getting
2: tugged down to because he's sitting and looking up at this lady like, It's 1957
5: again. Yeah. You made me a promise and you didn't keep it. So now you must pay the piper. Will you be paying cash or food stamps? (laughs)
1: Can't we make a little deal here? Now, I'll tell you what. Suppose I tape a a donut to my driver's license and slip it to you. (laughs) You give it back and the donut just mysteriously disappears
5: could it be that you don't have the two thousand dollars could it be that I was correct when I made an educated guess that you would fail in life
1: could it be that the nails that hold your chair together are from the planet Krypton
5: oh look it's after twelve that's another twenty cents you owe us well it just so happens
1: that I returned that book years ago I'd remember if you did. You weren't here. I'm always here. Not that day. I believe that was the day of the big cake heist.
3: (laughs) You were rounded up for questioning. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, okay, between the the donut joke that happens before that, when he's like, I'll hand you my driver's license and I'll slip you a donut. Maybe when you hand that back, donut's not there. Like his face, the finger point, the way he says it, I was just like, like, standing ovation. Bravo, golf claps. It was fantastic. He's so
2: obnoxiously perfect. I love him.
5: Perhaps a policeman's rubber hose can get to the truth. Wait,
1: I'll just go to the shelves and get that book and prove it to you.
5: We'll both go. (laughs) So, Mr. Bundy, what do you do for a living? Presuming you're not still in high school. (laughs)
1: Librarian hitman. (laughs) I thought so. Uh, Let's see. I, I know I put it here somewhere.
2: Uh, now, Al would clearly never remember where that book is, even if he did return it. And two, he's walking over. Uh, I don't think Al realizes that libraries are very organized. You can't (laughs) just—the book would never be anywhere he's going to put it. Yeah. So so it's going to be like it's easily to go. Well, that doesn't belong there. So you clearly just put it here. You know?
5: Is that a duck? The book, Bundy. The book.
1: Yeah, uh, maybe it could be...
4: Uh... Oh, here it is. The little
1: engine that could. Boy, this brings back a lot of memories. You planted that in there. Prove it, Groot.
4: <laughs>
1: a loser? I think
4: not. (laughs)
2: now there's a whole thing to this Al putting this book back on the shelf because there's camera footage later on when the security camera is showing Al put the book back and pretending he found it there his
3: shirt and pants are not the same as when he actually did it yeah it's from when he it's the same clothes he was wearing the second time he came in there as as an adult to pay the fine
2: Yeah. So how weird must that have been to film? Like, wouldn't you say, well, well, what the hell did you film when I was here the first time? Like, what did I do? I just I just insulted. You know, they probably didn't like how it went down, the whole pushing and something
3: had to have changed that they decided later on. Maybe they ran out of time that day and they had to film it another day. That that would be my reasoning is, oh, we just didn't have enough time to film it that day. So we had to do it another day. And that wardrobe was missing or something. And it was just like, you know what? It's TV. It'll be black and white. Who's going to notice? It's not like, you know, 20 years down the road, someone's going to be doing a podcast <laughs> where they pay attention to this kind of stuff.
2: <laughs> well, 29, actually, because we're still in 88. Yeah. And and we're like in, you know, September. He comes home. So he, uh, so he slips the book back on the shelf. And she says, you planted that there. And he says, prove it to Groot he comes home and he lies to his family and he says that he paid the fine. <laughs> so he's, he's acting like it's better to say he paid $2,000.
3: Well, they wouldn't know how much it was. So he just, oh, I just paid a little fine. Oh, Okay.
2: So now the most amazing moment of Mary with children history, the news comes on <laughs> and it's about uh, a a very dark, Story or something about the Oakwood Library.
4: On the darker side of the news, surveillance cameras in the Oakwood Library caught the man with the most overdue book in the city's <laughs> history. As he see, the little engine that could, back on the shelves to avoid paying the fine. Watch carefully in slow motion as he distracts and the bill the librarian. He then slips the book back on the shelf. So take a good look at this man. He's been identified as Chicago's own Al Bundy. In this reporter's opinion, a true piece... ...of
2: human garbage. <laughs> what's really cool about this whole thing with it being on the news... ...is that your perception of what's happening kind of gets lost in the entertainment of the show. You know, like when you watch, like everything seems to be like in this bubble. Uh, Mary with children and, it, you know, it's in its own world in a way. So it being on the news like this like you get to see how the rest of the world would react to the antics that are going on with this family that you get lost in and you kind of forget to step back and say wow <laughs> it's just it's just a great point of view uh and that line a true piece of human garbage uh is legendary and the best part about that is that you hear guys cheering in the background like, yeah, when she says that. It's like amazing.
3: Oh, it was so good. And then when Alan Marcy show up and Steve, um, Alan Marcy, when Steve <laughs> and Marcy show up, the first thing Steve says is, weren't well, my property values low enough? Oh, and I was like, oh, that's such a good line. And then Marcy starts going off and then he just shuts the door on Marcy's rant. And I was just like, oh, man, this is just just knocking it out of the park. Before that, though, there's like – you know how I like those
2: little things that go unnoticed or like lines that just aren't really thought of? Yeah. The the best one here is – and I don't know why, but it's something about it is – and it doesn't even sort of make a real contextual sense. But Marcy goes –
0: I'm glad you got caught, Al.
2: Oh, I think we all are, Marcy. (laughs) <laughs> like for some reason, I just love that. I don't, I don't know why, but it, it's just one of those lived-in moments, I guess.
3: Yeah, because it is a, a very out response, and I think it was so, like, so much so I didn't even like notice it. I was just like, right. you like it didn't, it didn't catch me. I was more into the door slam and the and the Steve line before that. Yeah, but you're right. That is one of those lines that flies under the radar. Yeah. And it's perfect.
5: Daddy, why couldn't you have gotten caught robbing a bank like Cindy's father? I mean, at least she can walk around with her head held high. Yeah, Dad. As the lone carrier of the Bundy Seed, I foresee some lonely, seedless nights. So
2: now, we have a very daunting task about a sex point. No, I've got that figured out. Oh, perfect.
0: Ow. It doesn't matter what anyone else thinks about you. I just want you to know that this hasn't changed my feelings at all.
1: Gee, that's nice of you, Peg. Mm. Hey, you want to go upstairs and fool around? No.
3: (laughs) We made it clear back in season one with the sex points. It was clearly if they had sex, Peggy got the point. No, regardless of who started it, Peggy got the point. And... If sex was brought up and it did not happen, Al got the point so that we would not have to worry about if this was part of Al's plan, was Peggy abusing Al's plan, anything like that. So when Al asks her for sex and she denies it, I give a sex point to Al. So he gets a point for rejection? Yes, he does. He, if anyone's going to get a point for being rejected, it's Al. Oh, okay.
2: Now I'm happier about it. Thanks. (laughs) You just painted a picture for me that I enjoyed. Okay, so, uh, wait, wait. What did you call them before? Bud and Kelly? You mean Jim and Natalie?
0: Hi, Bud. (laughs) Hi, Kelly. It's Jim. And Natalie.
2: And I always thought those two names they chose, I thought they chose them because, uh, James Dean and Natalie Wood, who were the stars of rebel without a cause I thought that's why they picked those two names Jim and Natalie but I don't know if there's any real reference
5: oh yeah and
3: and Ruth Ruth
5: (laughs) so um what's for dinner Aunt Peggy (laughs)
3: it's Ruth
2: Ruth I guess she said it twice she goes Ruth Ruth (laughs)
5: like
3: why'd she say it twice like (laughs) she was trying to convince herself
2: (laughs) like as if you didn't hear it clearly Ruth guys Ruth
3: we well, like, should have said twice so so uh, Kelly would remember.
2: <laughs> and then Buck comes in the house with a bag on his head.
3: Oh my god, that was, I think that might have topped the visual uh, Buck joke from season two, the the eating of the Christmas shoe. Oh yeah, that might have that was so good. But I also got to give credit to one of the funniest jokes I, I've heard of come out of Peg's mouth.
0: And let's try to cheer your father up. He's a little bit down, what with that piece on Paul Harvey.
1: <laughs> I used to like him. Oh, now, Al, don't worry.
0: Honey, we've weathered your paychecks. We'll weather this, too.
3: <laughs> I love when she makes fun of how much... M- money he makes? Money he makes? Even though I don't understand how much money he makes and how he survives, it's just hilarious to me. Yeah, that's that mystery of... Uh... Al, would you wear your bag inside the house? Um, no, I don't think there's a logical reason for it. Okay. Well, I have an extra in my bedroom, so I was just curious.
2: Okay. This uh, That bag on the head thing we mentioned earlier does come back in Al's ending speech, so that's we'll have to make note of that. But uh, Now, Al goes back to the library, and this kid
3: uh, goes, hey, man, don't Bundy that book. Best line in the show. All the good lines in the show. This is the best line in the show. Bundying something.
2: Yeah. Now, this kid fascinated me when I was younger for some reason because he had this strange two-tone hair that was kind of happening in the 90s or whatever. I guess late 80s too. Um, it was like dark on the bottom and light on top. And for some reason that struck my eye. I don't know why.
3: Was it love at first sight? <laughs>
2: i think at one point i wanted to get my hair like that i think that's how bad it was
3: well at least you didn't want to get bud's hair
2: (laughs) no i knew to stay away from that uh and then when zach morris came out i was like oh wait a minute i know how to do this now
3: (laughs) you know i've spent my entire life calling my brother zach morris just because it pisses him off
2: yeah I, i was called the zach morris of
3: of my high school that i was thrown out of oh i was called the screech of the high school that i was thrown into bathrooms lockers Chairs, wow. Maybe so. That means Justin's like Slater. J- I could see Justin as a Slater.
2: Yeah, this works out. Maybe after this, we'll do a Save by the Bell podcast. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll do Save by the Bell, the Prison Years. Absolutely not. That's ridiculous. But what what we do do are our horror podcasts, and we should review the Freddy Krueger of the library system.
3: <laughs> that was that was pretty good.
5: This week we've had thirty-four overdue books returned by mail with checks.
4: Yeah.
3: All of the, like so many people have gotten scared and I'm like, I don't think a single person would have done that. I just don't go back to the to the library. But I guess no, there's no reason behind that. That's just one of those far out jokes that are just that's funny enough for me to forgive. Well, now we're gonna get
2: unfortunately there are two deadlines in this in this episode. Uh one was the Kelly thing and the or her intro to this episode, and now we have something I just don't get. Maybe you could explain it. I even looked things up, too, and I still don't get it. So after she says, I, I think it's after she says, you're the Freddy Krueger of the library system, he goes, does the
5: name Suey mean anything to you? The children are terrified and treat each book like fine china. Mr. Bundy, you've become the Freddy Krueger of the library system. <laughs>
1: Mr. Groot, does the word suey mean anything to you?
2: (laughs) Now, suey, the the only thing that I found any relevance, it's only chop suey.
3: I thought he was, like, making a a, I'm going to sue you joke. Suey? Suing. Suing mean anything to you? Is that what he said? That's what I thought. Does the word suey mean anything to you? <laughs> Does the word suing mean anything to you? Yeah, as in I'm suing
1: you for entrapment we, we or We should play it bad.
2: back like five times in a row and see if
1: it's suing or suey. Does the word suey mean anything to you? Does the word suey mean anything to you? Does the word suey
3: mean anything to you? I thought I was suing, but I've been known to be wrong before.
2: No, but I'm not saying I'm right, but I always heard Suey.
5: You know, Mr. Bundy, I've worked at this library for 44 years. I was eligible for retirement three years ago. You know why I stayed? You
1: learned to eat books?
5: (laughs) You're a horrible little boy. I kept this job for one reason. I knew I'd nail you, and I did. Pat Garrett got Billy the Kid... And I finally got you. My job is over. Today is my last day. You know, it's funny. I could have given you amnesty on the book. I would have for anybody else. But I always hated you. Is it wrong to hate a nine-year-old boy? No. Not when that boy is you.
3: Well, a better question is, is it wrong to hate a nine-year-old boy? Is it wrong? Yeah, I... Oh, hate a nine-year-old? Oh, no, it's not wrong. (laughs) I hate a
2: couple. (laughs) So, um...
5: (laughs) It's the joy of my life to see you grow up like I always knew you would. A total and complete loser. (laughs) Today, when I get in my car and leave this place for the last time, I will be whole. Your shame is my gold watch.
2: Yeah, so she's like, you know, your shame is my gold watch. Um, Now, Al's speech, what do you think about that? Because I'll play the whole thing right
3: now. This is one of the best Bundy speeches ever. I mean, we know Al for his speeches. But this is one of his most quoted. With the every morning when I wake up, I know it won't get better until I
2: go back to sleep. Do you know how many times I've used that line in front of random people just to see their reactions?
1: So you think I'm a loser? Just because I have a stinking job that I hate? A family that doesn't respect me? A whole city that curses the day I was born? Well, that may mean loser to you, but let me tell you something. Every morning when I wake up, I know it's not going to get any better until I go back to sleep again. So I get up, Have my watered down tang and still frozen Pop Tart. Get in my car with no upholstery, no gas, and six more payments to fight traffic just for the privilege of putting cheap shoes on the cloven hooves of people like you. I'll never play football like I thought I would. I'll never know the touch of a beautiful woman. And I'll never again know the joy of driving without a bag on my head. But I'm not a loser. Because despite it all, me and every other guy who will never be what he wanted to be are still out there being what we don't want to be 40 hours a week for life. And the fact that I haven't put a gun in my mouth, you pudding of a woman, (laughs) makes me a winner. How
2: do you feel as she pulls the rug right from under him as soon as he's done and says, no, that's what makes you a loser.
5: No, Mr. Bundy, that's what makes you a loser. You see, you could have made something of your life, I suppose, but you never followed through. That's always been your problem. Like I always told you, make a promise, keep a promise. And maybe if you did that just once, you'd be a winner. But that's the thing is he
3: he eventually did follow through with his marriage, raising his kids, working a job he hates to provide for his wife and kids. That is following through.
2: But he didn't make nothing of himself, I guess.
3: No, not necessarily. He didn't make his dreams. He didn't get to be a big football player. But the sad fact of reality is, is that 99% of us have to fail at our dreams for that 1% to, to reach their dreams and it to matter and to make all of us strive for something. And Al is just another person who failed at that dream and had to go into real life. Just like she did, she's a librarian. What did she? Did she? Did she, at four years old was she's like, <laughs> "Mommy,
0: I'm gonna be a librarian.
3: I'm gonna organize books for people every day." No, you failed at your dreams too, just like everyone else did, and you became a librarian. And you're you're shitting on Al because he did the same thing. He he stuck in a job that he hates. And provides for his family. His whole, I don't think she pulled the rug out from underneath him at all. In fact, I think she's being a hypocrite because I just don't believe that she was like, I can't wait to grow up to be a librarian. I can't wait to organize the bees. She acts like she, she has the most
2: sought after job. Like, oh, wow, you're a librarian. Excuse me. Like, I didn't know that that's what I should have done with my life so I can get some respect around here. Is that how you get a nice big house? And is that how you get your, you know, your in-ground pool and your... Uh... I I don't think Al's life would be any different if he sold shoes or, or was a librarian.
3: Yeah, and and on top of that, you're the one who stayed three years after retirement. If yeah, for me... For a grudge you had on a nine-year-old boy. Yeah, who's the loser here? Yeah, you loser psycho. Get out of <laughs> here. I don't want to <laughs> hear it. Al's speech is great because, and it, because it's something that I really do believe in. I believe that the sad reality is that mo- almost all of us have to fail at our dreams or dreams don't mean anything. Every day that you accept that your life is working a job you hate so you can pay your bills and raise whatever family or choose not to raise a family or whatever you do, and those days when you're down that you don't kill yourself, you are winning. Right. You are you are making it through life. You're making your life the best that you can with the reality of the world. But I'm sorry. This whole you could have been something. no. No, he couldn't have. Even even if he was good at a sport, you're still talking about a, a very, very slim minor chance to be that successful. You're talking about 1% of, of like, talented people. Yeah, even the greatest
2: football players don't even make it to the pros.
3: Yeah, like, like literally, if 1% of talented people make it, that is like .00001 of all people. So get out of here you librarian. You don't know what you're talking about. You're crazy and you probably have uh, a rotting brain from all that sugar. I think that if you look at Ron and Mike Michael
2: Moyes' notes, I think if they did if they didn't decide on shoe salesman, the next choice was librarian. <laughs> <laughs> Who is she to say anything?
3: Yeah. Um there were just less fat women that come into the library, so they went with shoe salesmen.
2: They're like, what, is Al going to argue with kids
3: all day? Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, yeah.
2: Real accomplishment, uh, Mr. Groot. You bicker with with nine-year-olds all day.
3: And lose that
1: yeah, bicker. I, like, yeah. Thank you, Mr. Groot. As a matter of fact, I'm going to start keeping promises right now. You won't. Yes, I will
2: uh al does keep his promise in the end he, he decided that day to start following through with his promises and that was to pour the whole uh jar of sugar down her gas tank so he picks it up puts his hand down his pants which she said to stop doing because it's disgusting or whatever and he makes his exit and we can imagine the rest And uh, just a side note, Al, uh, you shouldn't be putting your Pop-Tarts in the freezer. And two, Mr. Groot got to live for another 16 years after she retired before dying in 2004. We'll be right back after this.
0: No Ma'am will be right back to wrap up this week's review. Be sure to join their Facebook group page for all the podcast news and updates. Just type in www.facebook.com groups slash Married with Children Podcast. Be sure to subscribe to them on iTunes and please leave a review telling them what you think of the show. To subscribe to their YouTube channel, just go to Channels and search up Married with Children Podcast. You can email them at MarriedWChildrenPodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for checking out this review. Now the guys are going to give their final thoughts and ratings of this week's episode. This call will be recorded and monitored. I have a collect call from Justin, an inmate at a detention facility. If you would like to accept this and future collect calls, you must establish a prepay account. We accept Visa and MasterCard. If you would like to set up an account and accept this call, please press...
6: Hey guys, JP here and I uh, gotta make this one quick because I don't have that much time uh, Basically, I got into a little bit of trouble up in here in Canada But I will say this, that I didn't do anything wrong so I should be out of here really, really quickly I, I can't really go into details because of these phone calls being monitored and recorded and things like that uh, but I will say that I did see season three episode number one, He Thought He Could, uh, aired November 6, 1988, uh, and this is the very first episode of season three. Uh, really excited to check it out. Um, basically, Al is uh, moving some boxes where he finds an old library book he has to the back. Uh, I thought this episode was uh, pretty solid. I thought that the jokes were set up well, and it was one of those episodes that... Uh, me and the guys like so much where they they set a joke up, they punchline it, and then they bring it back and add another punchline to the joke later on or a couple seconds, minutes later in the episode. Uh, I thought that was you know really really cool. It was cool to see al as a child, uh, in some form, there was Peg Mom jokes going on here. I thought it was a pretty solid episode to open up the season, and honestly, uh, it might not be. A Super special episode in terms of like a two-parter or some magical season premiere But I thought the joke writing was uh, on point this episode So uh, I'm gonna come in at uh, Four Whatever the guys made the joke for out of five Whatever the guys made the joke for So um, I got a jet uh, You don't get that much long uh, That much time on these phone calls uh, But hopefully you guys can help me out Maybe bail me out or something and, you know, uh, maybe, uh, Patreon, Patreon money, uh, support, get me out of here, guys. Um, so, uh, one thing, though, uh, Canada, Canadian prisons are very, um, they're very nice up here. So I'm not, like, sweating it at all, but, uh, I shouldn't be sweating anyway because I didn't do anything. But I'll see you guys, uh, very soon, hopefully. Later.
2: Wow, well, there you have it. Um, I just want to thank our producer, Producer Habib, for playing that. Now we know Justin's rating, who I always go to first, is a four out of five. And right before that, you guys heard the whole social media announcement, as always. Join us our, on our social media. It is blowing up, guys. We have over 380 members on our Facebook group page, and we just started the show this year. A lot of hardcore Marriage Children fans on there. You want to join the group. Like I said, don't wait till the show is. So big that you'll get lost in the mix. Be a founding member. So join today. Uh, All right, Jerry. So he thought he could. How many spoonfuls of sugar are we adding to the coffee out of five for he thought he could?
3: Man, uh, this episode's so good. And it flies by really fast, which is how you know that a Married with Children episode is really good. Just because when it's over, you're just like, really? Already? Cause it's that good. Um, And this had one of my favorite lines ever. Hey, don't Bundy that book. It also has my favorite speech um, that Al has given so far. Um, I give this a, a a five out of five. I a hundred percent think this is a landmark episode where we get an insight to Bundy's mentality of how he lives his life. And I think that's, that's super important. So five spoonfuls out of five, I, I, I would say, for my cup of uh, coffee.
2: <laughs> awesome.
3: Out of all the Kickstarters,
2: uh, the pilot was strong. Poppies by the Tree was a big, nice, strong two-parter. But there's just something magical about this episode. There's something so perfect. It, it's, like, subtly perfect. It's It doesn't hit you over the head. It doesn't shout into your face anything. But... It's just so iconic. You could say to any, you know, moderate Marrow Children fan, remember when Al had the overdue library book? Oh, yeah, of course. You know, everybody knows this episode. It could be seen as a a not uh, major uh, thing or whatever, but um, to anybody who really knows what makes this show amazing can clearly pick up on what's happening here. And it, you know, from the beginning with the trophies and the stolen goods and and the book and the flashback and then going and the confrontation and then the the aftermath of what happened when he did what he did. And it was on the news and the news story and then the ending with the speech. Oh, God, I mean, this is what it's all about. This is why we watch this. I mean, it's perfect. It, it encapsulates that whole family. It encapsulates the, the whole aura of the show. It, it, it's just perfect. The lack of respect Al had for this lady as a kid, as an adult, nothing's changed. It's just amazing. Yeah, this is... I've seen this, like I said, probably 50 times. So, if I don't give it a 5 out of 5, then no one in the world will. So, Yeah. He Thought He Could is just a remarkable episode and an amazing uh, start to the season. Probably one of my favorite seasons of television ever. Guys, it was uh, great to review this. I'm so glad we're in the golden years. I'm very excited for everything that we're going to be doing for, I guess, uh, a year or so or more, you know, because... Cause uh, you got like 22, 44, 66. Yeah, we're gonna have a, a over a year of great times ahead. So stick with us. The next episode is that we're gonna be diving into is I'm going to Sweatland. When a perspiring stain on one of Al's shirts resembles a silhouette of the King of Rock and Roll, the Bundy household becomes a hot spot for Elvis Presley fanatics to visit.